Oh, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Welcome. I don't know about you folks, but this is my favorite day of the week, and this is my favorite time during this day. And hopefully you have that same joy of coming and gathering together uh, with other believers and other folks. And if you're not a Jesus follower yet, uh, you're special welcome to you. Uh, we're in a series called Life Apps, and we started off talking about something James wrote, Brother of Jesus, saying not, it's not good enough just to come and hear stuff. In fact, this happens every Sunday in churches all over the world. People come and hear stuff and don't do anything about it. And they think they've had this great religious experience because maybe they had a quiver in their liver, as some people say, or, or they just felt bad or felt guilty. Um, and they thought that was religious. Uh, that equaled closer to God. And so I'm better, so I go home and I'm happy until the next Sunday rolls around. Well, James said it, and of course we believe God said it, that <laughs> that's silly, that's foolish, that's, we don't do that in any other area of life. Well, I got a, I got a membership to the gym, so I'm going to be healthier now. Or I bought a treadmill, I'm going to be healthier now, or whatever. It's not saying or thinking or have good intentions, it's uh, doing it. And this is something we've kind of made up in Christianity, this idea that just kind of having a bad feeling makes me more spiritual or, or just thinking about things makes me better. Uh, it's not true. In fact, uh, unapplied paint doesn't do much good, does it? It uh, doesn't change the color of the walls. It doesn't protect stuff outside. And so unapplied concepts in Christianity don't do any good. In fact, it's worse than that because it deceives us. He said it deceives us. We think we're doing something good when we haven't. So that's what we've been talking about. And we've said there'd be five applications after the first week. Um, we put it this way. Application makes all the difference. Got to do it. And then the second week we talked about <clears throat> forgiveness. If you're a Jesus follower, unforgiveness is not an option. Just not. Can't go there. Not according to what Jesus tells us, all right? So that's the application. So if you're unforgiving, you haven't applied that. Um, and it hasn't made a difference. Last week, we talked about rest. An interesting thing about last week was you can keep track of it. So I was keeping track this week. I actually had two nights I got eight hours sleep, which is unusual for me because I usually don't. But I did two nights. Uh, I didn't take a day off this week. Took kind of a half a day off, but didn't take a day off. So uh, I don't know about you all, but uh, hopefully you got... We're more conscious of your rest. Now, today we're going to talk about confession. Now, the problem with this one is this is one we think we do and we don't. This is something because and as a church leader, pastor, whatever, I'm going to take some of the blame because we've kind of misguided you folks on what confession is about. So we're going to try and figure out what it really is about, what God says it's about, and hopefully uh, make application. <clears throat> In fact, some of your friends, some of your neighbors that aren't Jesus followers. And they look at us and they think, wow, um, they go to church every Sunday, but they're no different than I am. In fact, they're not as nice as I am. And you say, hey, you need to come to church, you need to come to church. And I, their question is, why? You're no different than I am. Because you, know, you got to have this religious experience. You've got to go there and hear the preacher say something to make you feel bad. And then you feel closer to God. And, and it's just awesome. And you're thinking, that doesn't sound very awesome to me. And so, we're going to talk about confession. Now, if you're from a Catholic background, I was talking to one of the folks in our small group, 
about this. He said, uh, growing up, he went to confession on Saturdays. I didn't know what you could, I thought you could go any day. And he said you could, but normally you went on Saturday, then you went to church on Sunday. So Catholics had this confession thing where you go and tell the priest. And that's, that's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, and, and uh, hopefully that works, work, works for them, and you if you're Catholic. Most of us aren't Catholic, and in Protestant church, we think we've got something better because we don't have to go on Saturday to the priest, we can do it anytime. And so laying in bed at night, if you want to be really spiritual, you get down on your knees, right? And say, uh, you know, make our confession to God. And so whatever system you adhere to, what you're really doing is emptying your sin bucket, right? You know, you sin during the week, you put these things in, things you've done wrong, things you shouldn't have done, thoughts, whatever. So you fill your sin bucket up, and so, you know, if you, how often you do it, Catholics once a week, whatever, you dump all your sin bucket out, and it's empty again, right? So I've got an empty bucket. If you do it every night before you go to bed, or when you get up in the morning, you know, you empty your bucket, it's all empty again, then you start filling it up again. Now the problem with that, this, our concept of this system of confession is, we think God's dumb. Doesn't matter what we put in the bucket, we just tell him later and, he, and, we, and we dump it out. Now the problem with that is, and I put it on your outline, trying to outsmart God, how to shortcut the system, how to bypass it. Anytime we try and outsmart God, it's a sin, it's wrong. If you don't believe in sin, it's, it's wrong, right? It's just <laughs> uh, arrogant, isn't it? Uh, it's trying to treat God like he's you know, less, less than we are. So that's the problem with our general approach to confession. Now the penance thing, and pen, penance thing in the Catholic Church started about 600 years after Christ. So the church got along 600 years without it. Um, <clears throat> but the pro- concept was, was good. Penance, penance was based on the, on the word repentance. And we're going to look at that. And the concept is that you did this thing once then you went and repented of it and so you wouldn't do it again. But we've kind of evolved to the place now where I go, I confess it to God, often with no intention never to do it again. And we have this concept in Christianity where God forgets it. And there's like one verse in the Bible that says that. You can't base the theology on one verse, and it doesn't even make sense, really. Now, let's think about this. All right, so I've sinned against you. I've wronged you somehow. All right? And so you're telling somebody else, hey, the pastor did this to me and so forth. So is God listening to that? God hearing that? And is God saying, oh, I didn't know the pastor did that to you. He confessed it to me, and I forgot it. It doesn't even make sense, does it? Or think about it this way. Uh, there's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of David, and he hooked up with this woman that wasn't his wife. You know, some of you know, know her name. And he confessed that, right? So God's forgotten about it. So God can't read the Bible? I think God's got it memorized. And so, oh, every time he reads that part, he says, oh, David committed adultery with Bathsheba? Didn't know that. I forgot it. It doesn't even make sense. Now, God could forget it if he wanted to, but that's not what it means. It means he acts as if. It never happened. So, here's what I believe the problem is. We believe that the primary purpose of confession is conscience relief. I feel bad, I feel bad, I tell God about it, now I feel better. Shoo, I got that off my chest. Don't feel guilty anymore. God's forgiven me. Everything's okay. 
Now think about that. Now, what is confession about if I think it's about conscience relief? It's all about who? It's all about me, making me feel better. Is that what confession is supposed to be about? In fact, you cannot find any place in the Bible where confession is connected with conscience relief. It's not in there. It's something we made up again. <clears throat> confession should be about what? It should be about God, and not only God, but actually, what we're going to see in these verses today, it's more about other people. So on your outline, genuine confession serves as the first step. It's not the end all. It's the first step towards something. In this case, towards repentance and reconciliation. So it's just not about clearing my conscience, making me feel better. It's about repentance. Repentance actually means to turn around. So if I'm going this way and it's the wrong way, I turn around and go the right way. It's not about saying, okay, I'm on the wrong way. I'm sorry I went the wrong way. I'm going to keep going the wrong way. And then reconciliation, we'll get to that in, <clears throat> in a minute. So it's a little uncomfortable, it's a little threatening because it's more than just uh, telling God I messed up and, and clearing my conscience. So here's the bottom line. We're going to mention this a couple times this morning. Genuine confession leads to genuine change. And we say it every Sunday. We actually didn't. Billy didn't make us say it this morning. <laughs> Following Jesus, what's the other part? Changing. Together, we want to be changing. We want to be cha getting better, right? Changing for the better. Changing to be more like Jesus. Changing to be better husbands, wives, whatever. <clears throat> so it leads to genuine change. Just to clear our conscience doesn't change anything. So consequently, it's about people. So we're going to look at an Old Testament text that leads into a New Testament story. Uh, to kind of get the foundation here this morning. Now, the Israelites <clears throat> were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Now, being a slave is easy. I mean, it's not easy, physically easy, but it's morally easy because what do you have to do? Yes, master. You don't have to think about it. It's right or wrong. Master says it, you do it, right? So it's simple. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to make these decisions, the immoral decisions. Yes, master. Yes, master. 400 years. So no Israelite had any concept about making decisions on their own. So they get out in the wilderness. Moses leads them out there in the wilderness. And so the people have no, no, no concept of right or wrong, know what, know, knowing what to do and not to do. So God gives them what we call the law. Moses gets the Ten Commandments and gets these other laws. And this is to tell the people, hey, this is how you should live your life. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. So that's the purpose of the law, to help people that didn't know right from wrong. So we're going to look at just two or three verses that describes this idea of confession. It's in Numbers chapter, chapter 5. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If any of the people, men or women, betray the Lord. Now notice this. Betray the Lord by doing wrong to another person. They're guilty. So how did we betray the Lord? By doing something to God? No, the way we betray the Lord is by doing wrong to another person, another part of God's creation. So I've wronged you or you've wronged somebody else and you know, I'm on my knees by my bed at night I said, God, I screwed up. I really messed up. I, 
you know, I did, did this wrong today and, and uh, I'm sorry. And uh, so God, you and I are cool now, right? And God's going to say, yeah, that's fine. You just told me about it. That's all that needs to be done. Well, is that how the law said it? All right, I wronged God, but how did I wrong God? By wronging another person, so what do I need to do? Next verse tells us. They, the person that's wronged somebody, must confess their sin and make full restitution. Now, it doesn't say who to confess the sin to, does it? No, we assume it's confessed to God because sin is against God. But if you're going to make restitutions to somebody, you need to tell them, right? Makes sense. So whether you confess it to God or not, you're going to have to confess it to this person that you've wronged. Make full restitution of what you've done, adding additional 20% returning to the person who's wrong. So if I took 10 sheep from you, I've got to give you how many back? Who's good with math? 12. Good. All right. So... I've stolen 10 sheep from you. I've confessed that to you and to God. And I give you 12 back. And that, according to the law, then we're square. All right? That's fixed fixed it. It wasn't enough to me. He said, God, I'm sorry I sold these 10 sheep. All right. So that's what the law said. Uh, That's what the Old Testament said. Uh, I'm going to kind of give you the three R's of confession the way I, I think about it. Here's the three R's of confession. Repentance. We talked about that. Turning around. Reconciliation, I restore what I've messed up with you. And then restitution, I pay you back. Actually, I pay you back more than I took from you. That's the three R's of confession. It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry. That's not biblical confession. All right, so let's, let's fast forward to Jesus. And Jesus is about his ministry, and he's getting really popular. He's in Jericho one day. He's walking down the street, and there's this guy. He wants to see him, but he's kind of short. And some of you know the story. And if you grew up in church, we had this silly little song we learned as a kid uh, about this guy, right? His name's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. Some of you know you know that song, right? Silly little song. Anyway, Zacchaeus is, climbs up in this tree. And I don't know, he just wanted to see Jesus or hear what he had to say or whatever it was. He climbs up this tree and Jesus is walking along. He sees him and he says, hey, Zacchaeus. Calls him by name. Maybe because he was well known, because he was what? He was a tax collector. Now, you need to read the Bible because there's some cool stuff in there. And this is always surprises me. When they described sinners in the, in the New Testament, they say tax collectors and sinners. See, tax collectors had their own category. And if I'm a sinner, I don't want to be re- connected with tax collectors. I might be a sinner, but at least I'm not a tax collector. And most of you know, they were traitors. They collected taxes for the Romans. And uh, Romans didn't care how much they collected, so taxes were 100 bucks. They would collect 200 bucks. Romans didn't care. And so they became really rich by being traitors to their countrymen, right? So logically, everybody would hate them. So the most hated guy in town was Zacchaeus. And Jesus said, I must go to your house. Now the crowd's going, he's going to Zacchaeus' house? That's the last place we'd expect a holy man, Jesus, holy man, to go, right? So he goes to his house. And I assume Zacchaeus is a good host. And uh, we don't know what transpires. He feeds him lunch, whatever. We don't know what he says. We don't know what he teaches. All we know is Zacchaeus' response to hanging out with Jesus. All right? And that's where we pick up the story. Oh, here it is. In Luke chapter 19. 
Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated, now if I've cheated, <laughs> again, you ought to read it, right? Kind of funny, right? He's a tax collector. Did he cheat people? Absolutely. That's how he made all his money, by cheating people. So if I've cheated people of their taxes, since I've cheated people of my taxes, I will give them back four times as much. What did the law say? 20%, right? How much percent is this? That's 400%. So the 10 sheep become how many? 40. <laughs> if I've taken 10 of your sheep, I give you back 40 sheep. Now, Jesus would, says this to Zacchaeus. No, 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 that's not necessary. You confess, you're, you, you know, you're, you're stealing from the people. That's enough. You and I are square now. Don't worry about it. That's what Jesus tells them, right? I made that up. It's not in there. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and notice, after a life-changing experience with Jesus, the generosity. The law said 20%. I don't know what percentage higher, 400% is of 20%. But he's going to this extreme of 400%. So what was Jesus' response? Let's read it. Salvation has come to this home today. This man has shown himself to be the true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus, you may have been a traitor, you may have been stealing from the people, but you and I are brothers now. You're forgiven. You've confessed. Not only con said you're sorry, but confessed with reconciliation or the goal of reconciliation and restitution, true confession. And Jesus said, you got it. You understand what it's about. Now you're one of us. I didn't put the next verse on your outline, but the next verse says, last verse in the chapter, he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. People like Zacchaeus. And that's why we say every Sunday morning, we're going to be a church that the unchurched, the lost, haven't found their way. We don't help them find their way, right? So again, genuine confession leads to genuine change. Zacchaeus was completely changed. He went from a, a traitor and a thief, stealing from the people, to a man of generosity. Now, I do want to look at one other verse, something James said, because we, we started off with James. Beginning, he talks about don't just listen, but do things. At the end of James, he talks about confession. In fact, this is, you can prove, your, prove the preacher wrong. I read this statement and I tried to check it out and the best I could figure out is true. This is the only place in the New Testament that we're commanded to confess. I couldn't find any other place. If you do, let me know. It's the only place. So James, again, application, right? So in James chapter 5, verse 16, James talks about confession. Now this is the verse we ignore. Let's be honest. It is our type of Christianity, we ignore this verse. We don't do it. The Catholics do it, but we don't do it, all right? Now here's what it says. Confess your sins to God, right? That's what we do. Is that what it says? Not what it says. We pretend it's not there, I guess, or we pretend it says God, but that's not what it says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So you tell me or I tell you, hey, this is, I'm struggling with this, I got this problem, Pray for me. I need your help. Because we're going to see 
as we read the rest, the earnest prayer of a righteous person, and if you're a Jesus follower, you're declared righteous, so it's not just preacher types. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So I want to truly change. I'm going to tell you so you can pray for me, and that will have the effect of bringing healing. So I may be healed, so I may be changed, so I may get past this. Literally, I'm supposed to open up my life to some other person. And we don't do this. And we don't do it very often. And we're afraid that the other person is going to judge us. Right? There is one place this happens. We'll talk about that in a minute. You know, I've been laying hardwood floor and I got a splinter the other day in my finger here. And I kind of forgot about it because I saw it, but it didn't bother me. But by the next day, guess what happened? It was bothering me. I still have a little <laughs> sore spot there. See, that's what not unconfessed sin, but not truly confessed sin does. It's like a splinter. It festers, and it gets worse if we don't deal with it. And it can't get healed until we get it out, right? And so James said, you've got to get it out. You've got to not just tell God. You need to tell some other person. So genuine confession leads to genuine change. Do I really want to change? Let me use an illustration to help understand this. So I work for you. We have a, you have a store, you have a restaurant or something, and I work at the cash register with a bunch of other people. And so you start checking, and you find out there's like $200 a week, just week after week's missing. It's not a lot of money, but it, it, it's noticeable, and, it, and it's bothering you, and you can't figure it out. So you set up this video camera. You own, own the establishment, you set up this video camera on the, on the cash register, and you discover that it's me. I'm, you know, $40 one day, $30 another day, but average about $200 a week, I am stealing from the cash register. And so you confront me with this, right? You say, hey, what's going on here? You've been stealing from us. And you say, oh, you caught me. But I just want you to know I feel bad, and every night when I go home, I confess to God, I'm sorry, God, I stole $40 a day or stole $50 a day. And, and, and I'm a Jesus follower, and I go to church, and I'm actually even tithing this money. So I hope you should be okay with it. And you're going to say, yeah, that's fine. No, you're not. <laughs> you're going to fire me for one thing, and you're going to, if it was enough money, you might even take me to court to get the money back, Right? It wasn't enough I felt bad about it. It wasn't enough I confessed to God about it. In fact, we have a word for this. It's a word that starts with H. That we act one way, but we're really not that way. You know what that word is? Put it on the screen. Yeah, hypocrite. Now, if you read the New Testament, where, where, when did Jesus use this word? With people like Zacchaeus? No, Zacchaeus knew who he was. He didn't hide it. It was the church leaders. And he would say things like, hey, you look good on the outside, but you're stinking on the inside. Now, this is going to be the hardest part of the, little, the teaching this morning. But See, folks, God's too smart. Can we stop this, guys? I feel like I'm floating in a cloud or something. <laughs> Something going on. God's too smart. He knows our hearts. He knows we're being hypocrites. So I want to challenge you with something. 
I want to challenge you to change your prayer. I want to challenge you to pray an honest prayer. Because God knows anyway, right? So instead of praying, God, I'm so sorry, with no intention of doing it again, say, okay, God, I am sorry, but I have no intention of doing it again. I do have intention to do it again tomorrow and the next day. Just be honest. Now, why won't you pray that prayer? Because honesty may put a crack in our hard hearts. Now, one group that understands this is if you're in one of these A groups, AA or, or NA or whatever. They understand there's just some things in life you and I can't get over just by confessing it to God. There's some, some shortcomings, there's some sins, there's some bad habits, some addictions. You just can't. And so, what happens in an AA meeting? You say, hey, I'm an alcoholic. And everybody says, hi, we're all alcoholics too. It's confession to other people about our shortcomings. So here's the tension. We're about finished. Here's the tension we have. We fear the consequences of confession more than we fear the consequences of concealment. And we will do that until we actually suffer the consequences of concealment. And see, the problem with secrets is they grow. And they get bigger. And they get worse. And they affect our relationships. Even before they come out. Because there's guilt and shame that we carry around with us. So the Bible says what you do is you deal with it initially. uh, You deal with the consequences of confession. Because there can be consequences. Right? But you, they're, they're, you, they're, you confess them and you deal with them and, 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 and the thing is, is resolved. Reminded of a story that my wife tells and shared it in the first story, uh, service. When she was a kid, she lived in, uh, what is that place called? Uh, uh, Beaver Creek. And about four or five houses down was this little country store. And my wife has a sweet tooth, in case she didn't know. All right? <laughs> And uh, her mom had this container of change that they used for their school lunches. And what she was doing was stealing dimes to go down to the country store and buy candy. And I don't know how long she did this, but she was feeling really bad. And, and eventually she goes to her mom crying and says, I'm sorry, mom, I've been stealing dimes. You know what her mom says to her? I know. <laughs> I I know. It's kind of the same thing with God. Sometimes we go to God and it's like we're, he's surprised that uh, we're confessing whatever we're confessing. He knows. Let's be honest. So I'm going to do some homework. This is serious homework and hopefully you won't just ignore it. And here it is. This is about true confession. What and who do I need to tell? And I can't answer this for you. What sin do you've just been confessing to God that you need to tell somebody else about? A wrongdoing or, or whatever it might be. And those of you who are married, often our spouses aren't the best person to share these things with. Uh, but maybe, depends. If you've got an accountability partner, they're usually the best person to talk to. You don't tell everybody, but you need to tell somebody. So what and who? And if you've wronged somebody, involved in that is that person that you've wronged, Right? So the real question is, are you ready to break the cycle? Are you really ready? Are you ready to do confession right? Because genuine confession leads to genuine 
change. All right. Well, let me pray with you or for you. And we'll have a song and let you go. Um, what do we got this week for? We got two more uh, apps in our, in our series. So let's pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you for what true confession does. It does bring change. It brings forgiveness. It brings peace. Not only with you, but with other people. It involves restitution. And uh, God, that's, that's hard for us sometimes. And to confess to other people, it's just, just, just one of those things we don't do very well. And maybe because we see ourselves or others as judgmental, I don't know. Uh, but God, help us to uh, <clears throat> take this seriously. <clears throat> because this is uh, it's taught in the Old Testament, it's taught in the New Testament. And this makes life better, our relationship with you and with others. And if you're with us this morning and not a Jesus follower, we're delighted that you're here, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to step across that line. Jesus came seeking you. He sought me, found me. And he desires to find you. So, God, we just pray that you continue to, to seek that person and they would seek you and uh, find you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.